vengeance. I am the knight. I am Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman Ranking podcast. For each week, my co-host will never and I get a three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how are you? Nah, I'm pretty good, Matt. Pretty good. How is 2023 treating you? Well, you know, after that initial New Year's Day with the aliens, I, I thought you know, it was all going to be downhill. <laughs> but, you know, they turned out to be actually pretty beneficent and... Think things are things are looking up for this year. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Just just a quick, quick shout out to my man Alexander, who once again brings light and life into this show. A couple of weeks ago, we had on Tony Thornley, and uh, he's got this uh, he's got this good beef there in Utah with BYU now. Tony, I hope Tony's not listening to this show because I, I had to this episode because I got to admit my standard policy is always to oppress uh, little sisters slash land grant schools. I'm sorry. I got too much Alabama in me. So if you're land grant like Auburn, Texas, A&M, if you're if you're some little sister in your rivalry, look, I, I hope your dreams are crushed. I hope you can always just just live with spite and hatred in your life um but for tony's sake for tony's sake i'll come down on the uh, the utah uh, the utah side of the holy war so anyway we have tony on and we're talking about this uh, this wonderful outbre- uh, outbreak of uh of what was it herpes and with the uh, the byu students because uh according to their their faith and their obedience to the lord uh, their God, they believe that having sex in the armpit is better than, you know, having the good kind of sex. And so we get this Twitter message from uh, from our good buddy, Josh, uh, father of said Alexander. And, you know, during the show, you know, we were talking about this armpit sex and I, I chime in. And I'm like, well, gee, Alexander's going to have a lot of questions about this. And it turns out Alexander listening to the show does have a lot of questions about armpit sex bat chat for the children matt we we can maybe start claiming educational grants i you know absolutely i'll 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 take it you know make it bat chat my full-time job by making an educational program I, i could go for that it's like sesame street but with more boners Oh, 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 tonight. Oh, boy. A number, a fairly large number, and we will get there. Uh, Tonight's all about boners. All about boners in the dumbest episode yet. Yep, because we're we're keeping it classy. We are keeping it classy because out there, you know, if if you're doing the math, tonight is indeed episode 69. Episode 69! And, you know, nice. Will could not allow this milestone to go unmarked. Could you, buddy? No, absolutely not. As I uh, as I told Matt, I was going to quit if we didn't do this. So th- this particular theme has kind of been bouncing around on the old Bat Chat theme Google Doc for a while. And, you know, Will proposed it and it's like, OK, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get to that one. And I was always like, you know, well, you know, I have all these, you know, deep theme thoughts or you know like you know ways of like in characters and all these interactions and will's like no 
Now, this one, this one's mine. And we are doing three stories that have spawned internet memes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting goddamn stupid tonight. And I love it. There, there, there is no connective tissue. There is no deeper overarching connection between these stories. This is just three stories that have spawned stupid shit that you see on the internet. Yeah. There's some, some there's some decent material in here. And... Oh, 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 oh. I I particularly loved one of these stories. Spoiler alert, it's the one with the boners. But but not not just for the boner content, right? Like you you come for the boners, you stay for the history. Yeah, I mean, I actually that like we have had way worse episodes than this. Oh yeah. We're gonna hit the boners second. Well you gotta you gotta warm up to the boner, right? Can't just go in cold to a boner. We're we're starting out with the the, the biggest one of the night. Uh we are starting out with Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles numbers one to six. Uh the writer is James Tiny in the fourth, pencils by Freddie Williams the second. Inks also by Williams, colors by Jeremy Caldwell, letters by Tom Napolitano, edited by Jim Chadwick and David Pena. Cover dates are February to July of 2016. An interdimensional teleporter has sent the heroes on the half shell and their arch nemesis, the Shredder, to Gotham City. With the mutagen that transformed them starting to become inert, the turtles must team up with Batman to stop Shredder and get home before it is too late. It was so hard not to say turtle power. <laughs> uh, we're, 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 there'll be plenty of, of jokes in between here and the, here and now and when we finish this one and do the other three Batman TMNT crossovers people think there are three there are actually four because there is an adventures style one as well the three that are the Tinyan trilogy and then there's that one I actually really like the other the the animated one as well so it's a lot of fun uh, why but... you never got uh you know like uh i guess it was the what the 88 series uh why you never got that with some justice league justice super friends incarnation we may never know someday so this one the particular panel that has spawned the meme here is batman and Raphael in crime alley and batman just standing there over Raphael. this is where i watch my parents die Raphael. and of course i knew i knew the meme before i read this i i started to read this years ago and i stopped for reasons that we'll get into but in the context of the story that panel does make sense like raf is being Raph, you know, he's being the emo turtle, you know, he's in the Batcave, and as Raph has to do it at least every other story, he storms out because he says, oh, look, we're dying and you're just, you're just a rich kid, you know, playing costume dress up hero. This is, this is bullshit and I'm leaving. And Batman, you know, picks him up and takes him on a tour of Gotham and takes him to Crime Alley and explains, oh, this is what happened. Like, this is why I'm Batman. There is a larger purpose to this. So it's it's kind of unfair that that panel became a meme. But on the other hand, it is kind of clunky. And it's funny because since I had read this when it first came out, everybody take a drink. The only time I'll be saying that tonight, 
that as the the gag never struck me as that funny because it's like well yeah because that makes perfect sense in the context of the story i understood the clunkiness of it but as you said since it makes so much sense within the the context of the book i was like oh it's not that big comedy moment but it's not morbid time or anything yeah so i mean that is the that's the the panel that has brought this particular story onto our radar for this episode this is only our second Tinian that we have on the big board. Yeah, we did that uh, detective arc, and yeah, this would be second. Yeah, so for a writer who has been writing some Batman or another pretty consistently for much of a decade, he's one that we haven't spent a lot of time with. And so it, it's it's nice to dip in and to, to dip into what's a pretty solid story it does a really good job as intercompany crossovers go of balancing the batman and the turtles of it i would say this story hits all of the notes you would expect it to does it competently and does not surprise you at any point i think the end of issue five beginning of issue six i did not see the hey let's turn all of Batman's rogues into animal mutants coming. Mm, yeah. At least not until the, I mean, when the mutagen shows up, it's like, oh, okay. But at the beginning as a beat within this story, I don't know if I would have seen that one coming. But aside from that, you know, stuff with Shredder, winding up with the League of Assassins coming in. It's like, yes, it's all exactly what you would have expected from a Batman TMNT crossover. And because it's a six-issue miniseries, it has time to hit all of those beats, which is the difference that we saw with the stuff with the Batman-Spider-Man crossover that was just that one prestige that did not have enough time to build out all of those beats. And I think the less said about Batman Spawn, the better. Yeah. We still eventually <laughs> need to do the original Batman Spawn we got to go back because that's Grant Mensch and Dixon working on it together with Klaus Jansen art. So, okay. Yeah. It's, it's been a long time. Competent is a really good description of this because it, it's a descriptor. I would often also give to Freddie Williams as an artist. He's not a flashy artist, but if you need somebody to get your book out, you need to get it out on time and you need to get it out looking like superhero art, Freddie Williams is one of those artists. Now, you see, well, I said earlier that I had started reading this years ago and I stopped. And Williams is precisely the reason I stopped reading it. This art does not work for me. I think this is probably the most horrendous Batmobile ever created. Like, it doesn't look like a car. It It's just this un wieldy unshapely blob it doesn't even look like a person could fit in it like it just all of this is bad and wrong for me and so i just i had stopped i was like ugh. i don't think williams does not offend my sensibilities in that way i don't he's not an artist who i'm like oh boy a new freddie williams book let me go out and read that for the art but i think he's serviceable which is Damning with faint praise, I suppose, but still. Like, I, I don't know if I could 
call this bad, but it's just not what I want. I don't have the vocabulary to properly just sort of describe my feelings for this, but just the, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it fits Batman and it doesn't feel like it fits the turtles and like the proportions are all weird. And again, I just hated that fucking Batmobile. The faces are the things that have never really done much for me for Williams. He's another artist who kind of does putty face. His faces are kind of weird and a little too cartoony in a style that isn't necessarily a cartoony style. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's off-putting. But the the story, we've got a ticking clock. This is, as, as Tony discussed when we first did these intercompany crossovers work, as either portal stories or untold tales where these characters have have existed together forever. And this is a portal story. This is very clearly from jump a portal story where the turtles have accidentally wound up in Gotham because Krang tried to teleport them and Shredder away and oops, it was an interdimensional transport since, you know, I mean, Krang is from another dimension to begin with. And somehow they wound up crossing over into Gotham. We also, in this volume, don't get the four Robins, four turtles thing, which I think we have, we get in volume three, which is something else I kind of would have expected. We only get Damien here. Is that pro- would have been a lot to work into this volume. Yeah. And I mean, three of the four Robins map really easily onto the three of the four turtles. All right. Let me see if I can get this. Jason, Todd, Raphael. Absolutely. Easy. Tim Drake, Donatello. Absolutely. Grayson, Leonardo. Yep. They all map pretty easily. Mikey to Damien doesn't work as well Stephanie maybe you could you could do a a Steph to Mikey a little more easily I think but those those other three map so cleanly onto the the three turtles I like a lot of the little moments in this book like I like that everything around that somewhat clunky panel of Batman trying to explain to Raph. And I like that once he realizes it, Raph does that thing that Raph also does, that once you've earned Raph's respect, Raph will go to the mat for you. Oh, yeah. And that's what we get at the end here, is that, you know, Batman's like, you need to go. But Raph's like, no, we can't leave him to face Shredder alone. Even if it costs us our our lives and our sentience, we can't leave this guy to face Shredder alone. Shredder's our problem, and this guy has done everything he can to try to help us. It's a uh, really- you mentioned the the uh, and sorry to interrupt, but you mentioned the ticking clock uh, a bit ago. The idea here is that as the turtles are in the we'll say the DC universe, the the Batman dimension, uh, their mutagen is wearing off and it will get to a point where it becomes inert and they revert to, you know, we little turtles. I thought that was a bit too convenient to just give this story a sense of urgency. I didn't particularly buy it. For me, it, it provided an impetus for this story because otherwise it's like, okay, they're here, Shredder's here. They have no particular need to get back home right away because shredder is here 
It's not like they've left New York in the hands of Shredder. So you needed something else to keep the story moving. Well, you could have had that same sense of moral responsibility for Shredder. It could have been simply Shredder's our problem. It He shouldn't be Gotham's problem now. Just for those out there who haven't read a lot of Turtles, this is also set pretty firmly in the modern IDW iteration of the Turtles. Just so if you're you know, like, why well, was Krang teleporting Shredder? Krang and Shredder work together. It's like not in that iteration of the Turtles. This is very much in the current IDW version where the foot and the aliens of Dimension X are not working together. I gotta go back to reading Turtles. I I made it through, what is it, City at War, I think? And uh, I just kind of wandered away. That was some good stuff. Yeah, I I got the first, because IDW's been doing those, the IDW collections, these big, really nice hardcovers that collect all of it in chronological order. And I've read through, actually through City of War, through the first three of those hardcovers. And I have the next three, and I just need to get around to reading them. Because I have, you know, in all of my copious spare time. <laughs> you got so much of it, I know. Uh, there's another beat in here that I really liked from issue two. After Batman has fought the Turtles and they've managed to escape, there's a moment where, you know, the Turtles are all, you know, like, what was that guy? And Mikey's like all about how awesome Batman looked and Raph is being like, you know, he's just some kook in a bat costume. And Leo has this line, you know, he's never seen somebody fight like this except for maybe Shredder, but he wasn't going for lethal blows. He was pulling his punches. And there's a line, he was trying to figure us out. And like, the line is, he was fighting like a detective. And it's such a smart line. And it's such a great thought about how Batman would fight someone who he's never fought before, who clearly has some skill that Batman would feel them out with different styles and different types of blows to figure out how these opponents work. Tinian knows Batman. The, the other team up that I, I never thought I would you know be interested in but was infinitely amusing was Alfred's utter frustration at Michelangelo. At no, that turn. was pretty good. That was pretty good. Repeatedly. And once again, proves that Batman books need an Alfred. Uh, he's coming back to the main book eventually, maybe. But I, I love Al also Alfred's like frustration. You know, like, I offered to make them a fine banquet, but no, they wanted to order pizza. Teenagers. And that, that last bit where you've got all of the super mutated Arkham rogues is fun. Like that, that is pure comic joy. Elephant Bane and Polar Bear Mr. Freeze. Praying Mantis Poison Ivy, who doesn't seem to be too enamored with what she's become. No. And is Harley a hyena? Is Harley the hyena? I think so. Yeah. Maybe a little too on the nose there. Yeah. And Joker the snake. I, I do like that again. Joker is like ration. Shredder seem to actually be working together and Joker's just like, yeah, no, I'm going to kill them and then combine the whatever mutagen is left with Joker Venom and see what that does. <laughs> I'm just going to fuck around. 
because that's you know that's your best joker is when he's just like yeah let's just see what the fuck happens i also love jim gordon's response when the turtles just think about retirement i can see jim getting to a point where it's like okay this this is a bridge too far i i put up with all this shit, but now there's giant talking turtles. Florida's looking real good. Look, look, we started with a guy in the bat. The DA got half his goddamn place blown off, and now he's running around in his weird-looking suit. I do draw the line at talking turtles. I have, I have fucking had it. I am out. Gone. The other important thing that we should discuss before we kind of move on from here is that again, that that memed scene is also important because one of the things that kind of underpins this story is the th- is themes of family and that we are at this point where this story opens a few days or a few weeks before the death of the Waynes, like a week before the death of the Waynes, the anniversary. The anniversary of the death of the Waynes, right. yes. And so we're seeing Bruce dealing with those feelings as he does every year. And the story ends on the anniversary. And after being with the turtles and their, their strength of family and such, Damien, who shows up towards the end, is kind of like, you know, well, father, I know you usually like to be, you know, left alone. And he's like, no, why don't we do something together? And what they wind up doing is tinkering with bat armor together. But still, we've seen Bruce deal with, family in this story and come to sort of appreciate that more now that he's been with the turtles who are such family and that is such a key bit of turtle lore and something that always comes up in turtle stories that they are brothers that's what makes uh the first idw arc so particularly strong because it's a family that's hurting because they can't they can't find raf and raf does leave bruce his mask in the end for a a memento for the Batcave because Batman had to have some kind of crazy memento from this one, another trophy, because how many times are you going to team up with giant turtles? Well, four, but still, (laughs) a much smaller number than times he has fought crazy clown guys. Oh, and, and Penguin becomes a Penguin Man. Well, of course. I really like the way Tinyan handles Penguin. I wish Tinyan had had more Penguin in his Batman writings. He just, he really hits him as the mobster, as the, you know, guy who wants to just sort of run his business, his crooked, crooked business. And who here, you know, Shredder just sort of makes him his Renfield for want of a better analogy and is really not happy about having to do Shredder's bidding. Penguin is a guy who knows the score, right? He he knows his place. He aspires to more, but when he can't have that, he knows, all right, I, look, this is when I got to squeal. This is when I got to shut up. Uh, this is when I got to put up with Shredder's shit for maybe one day getting getting my slice of Gotham back. But this Shredder guy, man, he's nuts. Yeah, I love that he turns Arkham into the... Uh... Castle of the Foot Clan. It's like, wow, that is a guy who commits. I love that Cobblepot is also like, you know, commits to a bit. You know, they villains often come to Gotham and don't have their bit all laid out, but you've already got it spot on. It's like, oh, oh, Oswald, if only you knew. 
I think I've hit all of my notes on this one. Oh, uh, that means it's time to put Batman Teenage Mutant Turtles Volume 1 on the big board. Okay, we currently have 204 stories on the big board. God damn. Number one is Batman Year One, the post-crisis origin of Batman. Uh, down at number 50 is Cry for Blood, the origin story for the Huntress. Coming in at 69, it's Batman Legends of the Dark Knight special choices or fears, depending on what you're looking at. Down at number 100 is The Mightiest Team in the World, the origin of Batman and Superman teaming up. Uh, down at 150 is The Three Ghosts of Batman, the Grant Morrison two-parter where Batman rubs testosterone all over himself. And hey, mm, down at the bottom, musky. down at 204, it's White Knight. Boo! Top half, I think. I think we're in the top half. Top half means above 202. Or, excuse me, 102. Yeah. Yeah. No, that Right now, 102 is Batman year 100. I th- Again, I think for me, this boils down to art I don't particularly like and a story that doesn't feel all that ambitious. Again, it's not a bad story. It's got all of the interactions, Batman with each one of the Ninja Turtles. It it doesn't really have any kind of a a beat with Mikey. Donatello has this love from afar. Like he loves all the tech. Leonardo has some good rapport with him as a leader, uh, a, a warrior poet, that sort of thing. All of the notes are there. And again, it's a very solid story, but it just it doesn't blow me away. All right. Uh, At 83 is 25 big ones. Harley Quinn, volume two, number 25. The story where Harley finally confronts the Joker. That was another story that's art didn't do much for you. You thought it was too cheesecakey in a few places. And you thought the Joker was, the Joker did nothing for you. You remember more about my opinion on that story than I do. That is what they pay me to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is what a nearly photographic memory does. Ah, oh, jeez. It's a curse. Mm, I would think so. So, okay. But wh- where are we thinking? So that, that, that's a point. Can you put this above that? Yeah, okay. I don't have much problem putting it above that. Where's where my ceiling? Where is my ceiling? Batman versus Predator at 65. I don't think this tops Batman versus Predator. That that had a better sense of urgency to it. Again, the the plot device of uh, of a mutagen wearing off because of interdimensional hocus pocus is not as compelling as oh shit the predator's killing people in Gotham. So yeah, I think I think 65 would be the ceiling here. All right, 71 is a lonely place of living our other tiny in so far. I think that one is better too. It's another one with art from a guy who in my head is like Eddie Barrows gets you a superhero book. That is a superhero comic. Eddie Barrows is very solid. He can get a book done monthly. There you go. But I think that Tim's long dark night of the soul in that 
is a more compelling story. That puts us between 71 and 83. It's a, a, a limited span. I'd put it above Batman the Spirit at 78. Yes. 76. Half an evil. Smash and grab, Harvey. Smash and grab. I'd put this above 76. Okay. Would not put it above 72. Madness, where it's the Mad Hatter Halloween special. I like that. I like the intertwining narration of Bats, Jim, and Babs in that one. And the sale art. Refresh me on Batman Adventures 25 at 73. Super Friends. Superman and Batman. Animated series style. Luthor with a big red beard. Ah, yes. The the bomb and the uh, Buck uh, Turgidson. This is this is weightier than that. Okay. Then do we drop it in as our new 73? Right. Sounds good. Those two. All right. Oh, Matt, is it time? Yes. Oh, yes, it it's is. time for some boners. Uh, yes, it is indeed. This is uh, our second story is the Joker's Comedy of Errors. This is Batman Volume 1, number 66. The writer is Bill Finger with pencils by Bob Kane and Lucere Schwartz. Inks by Charles Paris. No colorer is credited. Letters by Ira Schnapp and no editor is credited. Uh, the cover date is August of 1951. After making a mistake that costs him the loot of a robbery, the Joker is dragged by the newspapers for his boner. So it's time for the Joker to commit a series of boner-inspired robberies. Can he make Batman show Gotham the biggest boner of all? <laughs> now, before we uh, before we get into this this story and our our, our final story, uh, let me just lament the state of of trying to find some of these comics. I typically don't like to uh, to pirate books. You know, my favorite line is from Joe Friday talking about buying marijuana. You can't go there without feeling dirty. Uh, and I always feel dirty when I go to a pirate site. And the third story, you had to go to a pirate site. And those fucking things don't work. They never do. Constant pop-up ads and just a pain in my asshole. This, I was able to torrent. And I haven't tried to torrent something in years you get one cease and desist letter from your ISP and you're like, okay, I better knock that stuff off. But I got to say, I was able to get a torrent of all of the Batman books ever, or at least the first volume of Batman. And I got a new CBR reader and it was just such a pleasant experience. The scan is so clean. The dimensions are so perfect for my iPad. The ads are preserved. Uh, you know, the coloring has not been retouched. So one DC, get off your ass and, you know, make it so we can read the first volume of Batman. And two, I think the joke really was on us because you try to pirate Batman 66 and every result is, well, the series Batman 66. So this, this was truly a comedy of errors trying to get a copy of this. But we eventually got there and I really enjoyed both the reading experience once I finally got to it and this issue. Absolutely delightful. Okay, so I don't know if you did, but I did. 
I counted the number of times the word boner appears in this book. <laughs> uh, 76. Not that bad. Remember, this is a 12-page story. 78, then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. See, see, you stepped on my bit by going for a number so ridiculously high that the actual number now doesn't sound that bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry for fucking up the bit. Eh, it happens. Uh, it is 37, though. That's a lot. That is three times per page, that's... including newspaper headlines. But still. That's that's like three boners per page. That's a lot of boners. Boners per page. Of course, the, the probably the most well-known panel is Joker punching a newspaper so they laugh at my boner, will they? I'll show them. I'll show them how many boners the Joker can make. And the headline of the Gotham Gazette is Chortle at Joker's Boner. Uh, this is, of course, back when boner meant, uh, you know, a screw up. And not what it means now. But, this was probably the last day where boner meant screw up. Yeah, because boy, howdy, do they say it a lot in the Oh, story. yes. It, it, Joker and his boner related crimes. <laughs> a, a, a line from Gordon Batman, we've got to stop the Joker. Those boner crimes are making uh, making us look bad, and I'm worried about the boner he's readying for you. It is well that I am ready to trick him into his boner. His boner. But only a sense of humor like the Joker's could think of translating boners into crimes. <laughs> you were so busy forcing me into a boner, you forgot you were committing one yourself. Again, a delight. Yes, just, this is perfect. This is late golden age. We are in 51 here. So we're still a few years off of the Silver Age. And this is a Joker. This Is this our actually first story where we are having a non-homicidal Joker? We have, I don't think we've ever done any stories from periods where the Joker wasn't killing people. Yeah, I mean, you can't kill someone with a boner. This is the height of the code at this point, or right at the the point when the code was at its most toothsome. Or not. Are we still a little before the code? What, 52? 51. I think we might be a couple years even before the actual code. Uh, this is this is the height though of the the comic book moral panic mm. the code comes in midway yeah okay because the code was 54 so this is a little before the code but this is fairly toothless yeah yeah there's no there's no crime paying there's no graphic violence there's no teaching kids how to commit crime or teaching kids how to commit boners uh none of that here but you know this is this is one of your leading companies right this is not you know gains over at um you know ec trying to to push the limits you know this is this is superman national comics this is this is big business stuff yeah, I mean this is this is a goofy story. This But is, I love it. This is Joker commits a robbery at the beginning and winds up and is like, "Oh, I'm going to turn off the power 
on the building for the power company. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that ironic? And then he has to steal the payroll, which is up on the 23rd floor. And he's like, now we can escape the elevator. Why isn't the elevator? Oh, shit. Now I've bonered myself. Yeah, so he has to actually, you know, he has to go down all the flights of stairs and they run into Batman and he has to drop the loot. And so the Joker has now committed said boner and must, you know, he's like, oh, everybody's making fun of me for it. So he's going to do a series of robberies inspired by the great mistakes of all time. The greatest boners of all time. Now, one of the things I loved most about this story was a historical reference that was unknown to me. But Joker's masterpiece boner is tricking Batman into crossing the Atlantic. And he says that Batman is going to be the next wrong way Corrigan. And I I had never heard that reference before, never come across it. So I, I was curious. I knew that had to be a thing, right? It's either like some DC reference or it's a historical reference. And sure enough, it is a historical reference to one Douglas Corrigan, who, if you believe what he says, Corrigan was supposed to fly from, uh, I think, New York to California, and he wound up going from New York to Ireland. Now, that's, that's his official story. But the historical record shows that Corrigan was denied permission for a uh, transatlantic flight. And he basically said, fuck you, I'm going anyway. And, And this is in an era where this was still a very tenuous proposition being able to fly a plane across the Atlantic. Like this is, this is sometime after, after Lindbergh, but it took Corrigan 28 hours to fly from New York to Ireland. His cockpit is filled with gasoline because he's got a fuel leak. He can't feel his feet because they're soaking in gasoline. He keeps himself fed and awake with chocolate and fig bars. This guy is a confirmed badass. And and he didn't go all fascist like Lindbergh. So, you know, fuck making jokes about this guy. Like, uh, this is one of historic uh, history's, like, greatest characters. God bless Douglas Corrigan. Just a fun story. Yeah, he was definitely the reference that I had to look up, too, because I was like, okay, this has got to be a thing. And I know it's not the Spectre, because that's another Corrigan. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we, we hit that. We hit the Leaning Tower of Pisa as another one of the, you know great boners that the Joker is celebrating and the running aground of the battleship Missouri, which again, I'm, I'm sure was a real thing, but that one just seemed like, okay, ships run aground. Trojan horse. Trojan horse. Yes. The Trojan where again, there's a boner in that one for the Joker too. Big old horse boner. We also get a reference to Dillinger and the, the wooden gun that he used to escape jail. Watch out, this one's made of wood. Again, wasn't funny at the time, but in retrospect, Joker and his wooden gun boner, a lot of wood in that boner. It's a very silly story. It is. It is. You committed a boner, Joker. You were so busy forcing me into a boner, you forgot you were committing one yourself. It's a decent looking story. We're at the point where out of the stiffest art of the golden age, 
but we're we're not anywhere near the hyper realism that we'll start getting in the the bronze age or some of your better silver age art it's what you'd expect from a comic of this period it's a little less narration heavy i was just thinking that yeah than the real like golden golden age stuff we've done in the 30s and 40s we've only done a few books from this particular period and it's the stuff that's wound up a little bit higher, the mightiest team of them all, things like that. We're, we're starting to see the way comics are going to be changing as the period rolls on. I loved the historical reference. I learned a thing. I learned a cool thing. And I was entertained as fuck by the story. No notes. Loved it. Amazing. Okay, then I think you, you've probably hit what we need to, so. That means it's time to put Joker's Comedy of Errors on the big board. This does make for an interesting question of where does something like this go? I mean, it's not, you know, important to the grand ethos of Batman, but it is an enjoyable comic. It is. It it truly is. I don't know if we have a lot that is... Well, you know what? I mean, we might. So, where were you the night Batman was killed? Is... That's, that's number 70. That's higher. That's considerably higher than where this was is gonna, I think, needs to wind up. But I think this might be higher than uh, Luther, you're driving me sane down at 150. Yes. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. That was weird and kitsch and enjoyable. Everything about Luther, you're driving me sane. I think, well, not quite everything, but everything there is to like in that story you have here, I think, but just more so. Where do you put this against 138 Mad Men Across the Water? I was looking I was looking at that. It's another story that is charming in its sort of wackiness. And two, yeah, we picked a hard job for ourselves because we're comparing these things across eras. Mad Men Across the Water is from 94. And it's it takes a lot of gumption to write that story in 94 where Joker's comedy of errors is, I'd say, fairly typical for 52. Yeah, so it's tough. It's really tough. But I think I'd say somewhere between 130 and 150. Yes. So right in the middle there, then, is 140 is digital justice. That's a monkey astronaut. Yes. That was trying something, which this story, for all of its fun, isn't trying anything new or interesting for its period. It is just giving you a wacky Batman story from 1950. I might put it right below that. Yeah, right above Spider-Man and Batman. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of even that high just because it's Spider-Man and Batman and there's a novelty to that. But it's not, as we discussed in that episode, there's a lot of problems there. So I think 141 is a good spot for this. Oh, so many boners. The full face full of boners in that book. 
our final story of the night is The Clash of Cape and Cowl. This is World's Finest Comics, Volume 1, number 153. The writer is Edmund Hamilton with pencils by Kurt Swan, inks by George Klein. No color or letter is credited and edited by E. Nelson Bridwell. The cover date is November of 1965. In this imaginary story, young Bruce Wayne suspects that Superboy was responsible for the death of his father, Thomas Wayne, and begins a lifelong quest to get revenge on the Man of Steel. A, I dropped the phrase imaginary story in there and it's used at the beginning of this issue. This is what DC called its Elseworlds, its what-ifs back before they were a thing. They were quote-unquote imaginary stories. And that had to be confusing for the kids. Yeah, as they are all imaginary stories, let's be fair. <laughs> the thing that makes this particular story in this episode is this is the legendary Batman slapping Robin in the face panel. This is one that has reached such heights. Versions of it were used as variant covers on the most recent volume of World's Finest, number one, both of Batman slapping Superman and Superman slapping Batman. And I came across one of these variants and uh, I picked it up and I was excited to tell uh, Matt about it. And then Matt was like, uh, you know, they did one of the opposite. Again, I know all of this shit and it lives rent free in my brain. Yeah, so now I've I've got the frames for them both. I've got to track down the one I don't have. Which one do you have? Uh, I think I've got Superman slapping Batman. Good to know. I think, but I have to I have to double check on that. So this once you get beyond this that panel, this is a pretty standard, you know, Silver Age world's finest imaginary story. It is weird to see that Batman and Superman fighting each other like this goes back to 65. Now, let's finish this note on Robin, though. So we have a Robin that comes in through our normal channels, right? The Flying Graysons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then at some point, Batman reveals to Robin, oh, this this whole thing has been about getting at Superman. Robin says, but Superman, you know what? He's a hero. Then we have the slap. And then Batman makes him forget everything. He's like, oh, I'm I'm done with this guy. He's gone. He's dead to me. I am casting him out. Yeah, this Batman is kind of a dick. It's funny when you think about how much of a dick Superman of the Silver Age was. He's got nothing on Batman when Batman is being a dick. Now, I th I thought the setup for this story is interesting because we don't see it all that often in that it is Batman being definitively 100% wrong about something and then going so hard in that direction as to basically just, I don't know, ruin everything. Like Batman does make mistakes, like, like say, for example, War Games, right? That was Batman thinking too hard, Batman planning too hard, Batman taking his obsession for contingencies into a dark place. But this is Batman assuming the worst this is batman again being wrong and then committing himself to his wrongness not being open to any other possibilities 
And it's a very dark version of the character told in, you know, at some point, some some silly ways. But I thought that was a fascinating idea. And when we, how many times on this show have we seen Thomas Wayne or Martha Wayne die? Like, I feel like it's every week. But this is one of the few times where Batman's war has been based on an incorrect assumption. And... That's a fascinating thing to play with. Especially for a story that is a Silver Age, you know, goofy world's finest. I mean, those are not books that are known for being particularly edgy. And this has some bite to it. This has Batman who is very much ready to kill. And that isn't even really commented on. But he is perfectly happy to let Luthor kill Superman or aid Luthor in killing Superman. And only when he figures out, oh, wait, he didn't actually kill my father. Does he turn around and do the right thing? At the cost of his own life. Yes. And there's your code right there. Crime doesn't pay. Batman has to sacrifice his own life in the end so that he can redeem himself for siding with Lex. I did not expect this story to be quite so bleak, but there there are some weird stories in the Silver Age where things like that happen. Even in the, like, Golden Age, I mean, Robin Dies at Dawn is a pretty dark story. Like, I mean, Batman sneaks into the Fortress of Solitude. He's like, he's going to find that evidence. And at least it starts out with him trying to find evidence to prove Superman killed his father before he goes full on homicidal. But yeah, I mean, the thing he does to Robin, that's fucked up. That's that's real fucked up. He's like, we're going to just send him back to the orphanage. I'm, really trying, I'm trying to pitch a story where Batman basically misremembers crime alley the child as unreliable narrator and batman becoming so certain in those memories but i don't know i don't know how we could make joe chill or whoever pulls the trigger innocent in that situation it's very tricky we're going to have to cover the zero hour issue of detective comics where that gets retconned for a while. Oh? Yeah. In the Zero Hour crossover, which is a, one of the, the DC's crises, this one a, a, has to do with time, Bruce gets shifted off into a parallel world where it's Bruce who is shot that night, not his parents. So it's, it's Night of Vengeance, sort of. Okay. But he's there that night. So he goes to find Joe Chill, and he finds Joe Chill strung out in his apartment. So Joe Chill couldn't have killed the Waynes. And so this then becomes the status quo for the next few years until Infinite Crisis rewrites reality again, where Bruce now believes that he never caught the man who killed his parents. Nothing's ever really done with it, but there is this continuity where he doesn't catch Joe Chill. There's your weird little bit of 
that continuity and was never a fan of it personally. Interesting. I prefer where Batman has found his parents' killer and has proven to himself that this isn't the thing that drives him, that he has found this killer and now he has to go and do the right thing because it's the right thing. But we, we've had that discussion numerous times on my particular feelings about how Batman should operate. It's it's important, though, because if you fuck up on that question, you end up with Gotham by Gaslight. You wind up with a few different iterations of the character, none of which I'm particularly fond of. Yeah, I think I'm getting just bored with being Batman. Yeah, I guess I give it up. Whatever. This is a Batman who also is like immediately like unmasks for Lex Luthor. It's like, hey, yeah, I know I'm a crime fighter. You're a criminal. But I really have a man on for Superman. So let me show you what it's like to take off my, but I take off my mask. Hey, enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And I don't think anyone was surprised, would have been surprised by the twist at the end where it turns out that, oh yeah, uh, it was Lex who really killed Thomas Wayne because he was killed over a kryptonite cure serum. That's the important fact. It's like, oh yeah. Superman had asked about the Superboy had asked about the serum, and Thomas was like, "It's not ready. I can't get. I I can't give it to you." And that night, it was stolen, and Thomas was killed. And it was Lex trying to steal the serum, of course, because he didn't want Superman to actually get it. And and I, and I really love Superboy's response. Like Thomas tells him, "You can't have it," and Superboy's like, "Huh? Okay. See you later." Good-natured Superboy of the Golden Age, or Silver Age. This is the Silver Age by this point. There's not a lot here for, you know, a deep dive. I would like to see some kind of modern take on this core idea, though. Batman's war on crime being based on some kind of false assumption. That seems like a very interesting way to go with things. The question becomes, as you said, I think you said, what is the false assumption? I mean, is this an Elseworlds where it turns out the easiest way to do it is for this to be a world where Thomas Wayne is corrupt. Yep. Where the reason the Waynes are killed, Thomas or Martha, I suppose, one or the other of them is actively responsible for someone coming to kill them. Uh, let's see. Let's 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 write this out. Uh, Thomas is in uh, is in deep debt. Uh, he takes a hit out on Martha for the insurance money, and the hit goes bad, and they both die. Yeah, or he's in deep to the mob, and Joe Chill was just there, supposed to scare them, and he just was not very good at being a mob enforcer, and wound up just shooting them i mean even that allows for thomas to be not a great guy but not actively villainous your version makes thomas to be a real bad guy yeah yeah and and true facts that's how my grandfather dealt with his first wife oh oh dear yes 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 I think that was for insurance money. Wow. We all have some, <laughs> some sheep in our black sheep in the family, and that's one. 
Mm, yeah, spent uh, a couple of decades under the care of the Alabama State Penitentiary System. And then he met my grandma. Wow, I got nothing. <laughs> I think that means it's time to work world's finest number 153 on the big board. Okay, so not above Joker's comedy of errors. No, no boners in this book. I'm looking at like the 160s, 170s. I think 170s, because I think uh, 171, The Search for Santa Claus. I like that one more. Not quite the same era. That's a little earlier. Actually, I might say upper 180s. Because you got 180, you got Batman versus the Vampire. That's the, the first Monk story, the original one. I like that more. He's a more important story, too. I would reread this before Spawn Batman. Yeah, I think that might just go right in there. Okay. And thus concludes episode number 69. It's Was it good for you, Matt? Oh, it was a joy for, for all involved. Nice. All three stories came in under 69. Next week, we're, we're still we're, we're sticking in in a, a lighter tone for some fun, because uh, next week we're also dealing with crossovers. But this time it's Batman 66 meeting characters from other parts of the DC universe and other properties. Woo. Good times. Going to be some good times going to some some 66. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote. June, Conduit of Outdated Joke Names. Jen, come on. Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum. As my fangirl, Tony Thornley. Go Sam, Utes! <laughs> Sam Hoffer, John Wickham, Robert Secundus. Bobby Two Bucks. Tim Rooney and Giorgio Sergioli for their support. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLast1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books. For my other show, WMQ&A, my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.